What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. In this episode, I'm joined by Ferdi Osoy. Throughout his professional career, Ferdi has built relationships, opened new channels of engagement, developed and managed projects with a wide range of private and governmental organizations. Today, he's a program manager at the International Fact-Checking Network, which is a unit of the Pointer Institute dedicated to bringing together fact-checkers worldwide. And the IFCN was launched in September 2015, almost six years ago, to support a booming crop of fact-checking initiatives by promoting best practices and exchanges in this field. So, Ferdi, welcome and thank you for uh, joining the Trust Web Podcast. Thank you, Sebastian, for having me. That introduction was spot on, I have to say. And you already have taken some of those words that I was supposed to say in this podcast right out of my mouth, uh, which makes my life easier. Thank you for having me here. That's my job here to uh, make you feel welcome. And uh, yeah, let's dive uh, dive into it. Super uh, uh, thrilled of having you on the show. To set the stage, how would you describe the state of fake news today? Well, it's more than the state of fake news. The, ter- the terminology itself is very debated. It's very complicated. Uh, the terminology is often used by politicians that do not adhere to certain news reportings or reportings that do not reflect their worldviews. Another issue is that it's more than news itself. It, when we swipe up, up, down, sideways, it doesn't matter whichever social media platform you're using, you're subjected to misinformation right there in your hands. So the subject matter is is misinformation. It's not fake news. And misinformation can be in all topics and fields, Um, especially today uh, with the world health crisis, uh, the pandemic. uh, Health is is one of the most misinformation uh, that we see throughout every country around the world. And it's it's become an infodemic along with the pandemic. To clarify what I'm trying to say in terms of why it's more than news itself, Claire Wardell, I think it was, who published a few years ago, she pointed out that there's three current breakdowns on, uh, in, in the information system around the world. First one is the different types of content that are being created and shared, uh, motivations of those who are sharing this content, Um, and how this uh, content is disseminated. So there's there's seven types of misinformation that we are subjected to almost every day throughout our our daily life. Uh, There is a satire or parody, making fun of something which causes misinformation, misleading content, uh, imposter content, which can be manipulated, fabricated content, false connections, false contexts and manipulated context. These are some of the several types of misinformation that, it, that we succumb to each and every day. This is the current state of fact-checking. <laughs> I mean, the current state of fake news is what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. Over five years ago, your organization decided to organize 
the fact-checking organizations worldwide, starting in the US, I guess, what does your organization do and how are you combating the misinformation problem? Like you had said in the very beginning, uh, the International Fact-Checking Network was founded in, in September 2015, uh, but the community existed even before that. Every year until then, the community was getting together in a global conference, what we call the Global Fact Conference every year. And every year we held this conference uh, in various different parts of the world uh, where fact-checking is booming. And uh, within these conferences, it was finally decided to form this organization because all these people came, comes to, came together every year, sharing their ideas, the best practices that they're doing, and everybody has their own way of combating misinformation. And this changes from country to country, region to region, continent to continent, because we're, we, we might be disseminating the same misinformation around the world constantly, but it, it, it is in various different ways and formats it is disseminated. And, and finally, uh, I'm, I'm gonna call them brave individuals. They come together and, and they form this unique organization that brings together currently um, around 89 organizations that are signatories to the ISCN Code of Principles, which I will get to in a moment. Um, and uh, this community is constantly growing. And um, as it grows, we get stronger. And as it grows, we are able to fight misinformation more uh, effectively. And what does the organization do in a sense? Um, so the most important thing we're at the IFCN, what we do is, is uh, we have a set of principles, the code of principles. The code of principles is what we believe uh, is going to uh, bring a nonpartisan and transparency to fact checking. And it can be a powerful instrument of accountability, journalism, uh, unsourced or biased fact checking can increase distrust in the media and experts while they're polluting public interest. Uh, the code of principles is for organizations that regularly publish nonpartisan reports on accuracy of statements by public figures, major institutions, and other widely uh, uh, circulated claims. And so are those mostly news organizations or? There are a variety of organizations that adhere to these principles. Uh, there are huge news organizations, new, huge news agencies like AFP, Reuters, AP, uh, which is to name a few of the biggest news agencies who are, who are signatories to the Coder Principles. And then we have other organizations around the world that are nonprofits, that are also for-profit organizations. This all changes in accordance of where you are and how you are setting up your organization. But nevertheless, um, um, there are many, there are a, a different variety of organizations that adhere to the code of principles. And I would say uh, about a bit over more than half of them are nonprofit organizations who are running these fact-checking organizations who adhere to the code of principles. Now, um, the, what the question is, what is the code of principles? There's there's five sets of of principles that each organization needs to adhere to in order to become a part of our of our network. Um, it's a uh, it's a commitment to nonpartisanship and fairness, a uh, commitment to transparency of sources, 
a commitment to transparency of funding and organization, a commitment to transparency of the methodology they use in fact-checking, a commitment to an honest and open, uh, an honest and open corrections policy. These uh, five principles are, of course, broken down to uh, uh, many other little sub subjects under it, but these are the main titles of what the principles uh, of what the code of principles are. If these codes are violated by any of our of our organizations who are signatories, uh, every all this information is is public information on our website. Each application to the code of principles can be accessed easily. You can see the current state of of each organization where they stand. Um, there is there is a section within the Code of Principles website where where uh, individuals like you and me uh, can fact check the fa fact checker in a sense where we could submit a complaint and say this organization is not adhering to your principles because of these reasons. So it gives it also gives a platform to to individuals to fact check the fact checker in a sense, holding them accountable. Exactly, exactly. There are many other things that we do here. Um, I would say uh, one of the most strongest things that we that we have is 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 tapping into this wide network. And with uh, with COVID, we started. Um, my good colleague Christina, she started. She she helped pushed the the coronavirus facts alliance and. Today, right now, there's over 100 organizations who have fact-checked over 10,300 fact-checks on claims on, on COVID around the world in 70 different languages in 40 different countries. Another collaboration effort was, it was, um, was for the U.S. elections. The U.S. fact-checkers who are signatories to, to the IFCN Code of Principles put together a WhatsApp bilingual uh, chatbot which was called Fact Chat for the elections. And this generated a lot of content uh, amongst, uh, amongst um, uh, WhatsApp users uh, to reach the facts through, through the WhatsApp messaging app. Um, other opportunities include grant opportunities. We offer various grants during the year to help promote and sus uh, not sustain, but uh, push fact checkers or organizations forward in, in helping them disseminate their fact checks in various different formats, developing IT AI tools for automated fact checking, um, many, many, many different types of different uh, projects uh, we have uh, we have uh, we have uh, we have sponsored. Um, another example is media literacy. Media literacy projects we have funded many media literacy projects. And one of my favorite projects is is team fact checking from uh, from another pointer organization. Media wise, uh, they're doing a lot of work with teens and helping them uh, understand what misinformation is and help uh, and teaching them how to basically fact check. Other things that we do is 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 uh, trainings. We have we are currently running about nineteen training programs in nineteen different countries. Um, which is which is which aims to promote uh, new organizations to come up and also join this uh, 
combat against misinformation and joined the IFCN eventually as a, as a signatory to the Code of Principles. And um, like I said before, we have the global fact. Uh, every year we, we come together. It's like the big party for uh, all fact checkers, but also learning at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've spoken for the podcast, for example, to uh, Stephen Brill, the founder of NewsGuard, and uh, to Alan Duke the, uh, from Lead Stories. Are they part of the, uh, the IFCN, for example? Are those typical members? Uh, Lead Stories is. Lead Stories is a signatory to the IFCN Code of Principles. So, for example, Alan Duke with uh, Lead Stories, they work a lot with uh, with big tech, with Facebook, for example. What what we are proposing at Trusted Web is true blockchain timestamps. We make transparency and accountability part of the Internet's DNA, true standardization with the European Commission, with search engines. All we do is standardization and making tools for timestamping. Um, is that part of your goal as well? So, for example, to do fact-checking at scale, and that's why you organize those organizations? Or, um, yeah, what's, what's the main goal? Is it standardization? Is it uh, scalability? It's actually about a little bit of everything, in a sense. Um, it's bringing standards to a community. Uh, which the Code of Principles does that. It's to promote best practices, which the global fact, the grants that we offer uh, support this, and also these trainings. So we're, we're in multiple fields at the same time, trying to attack the issue on multiple fronts. This is not easy in a sense, uh, but if, if we focus on one section of, of, of stopping misinformation, it's going to allow many other uh, ways for misinformation to, to get to us individually. So we have to, in a sense, broaden our scope and try to support organizations that are working on media literacy, developing different tools um, online to, to, to quickly, identify, um, quickly identify misinformation. Um, also developing our own tools. Um, one great tool that I that I always uh, refer uh, the signatories to is the uh, is a tool called Claim Review, which which helps promote our fact checks to to be able to go up in, in the search engines in Google. It was specifically designed for this purpose. So we're always trying to come up with ways to 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 combat this, and and this is this is what we do here. This is. This is what why we are here to 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 broaden uh, this this best practices this this effort against uh, misinformation. So it's also in uh, providing the tools to those organizations, like the claim review uh, tool. Right, right, exactly. Um, one of the perks of becoming an IFCM member is 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 we offer several. Uh, I call it the toolbox. So when when a plumber goes into a house, he has certain tools he needs in order to fix a sink or anything else within the house. So what we did was we developed a toolbox where fact checkers could tap into to access certain software, so certain new developed uh, methods from other uh, fact checkers, um, uh, soft, um, softwares that are easily used to develop social media cards, designing different types of 
ways to uh, disseminate to their readers. So there's basically many different ways in that toolbox that helps fact checkers to do the good work that they do. Clear. And you've seen so much with the broad overview you have of the whole fact checking industry. What will need to change for the problem of misinformation to be solved? And what's the role for a policymaker? What's the role for a government? What's the role for a search engine? What's the role for a social media platform? What's the role for a publisher? <laughs> This is a very good question. I mean, misinformation in a sense has always been there. It's been there in many different ways. I would say it was, it's even been there before printed text was available. Um, as technology evolves, so do the mediums where misinformation spreads. So ultimately, uh, in the future, we'll be facing new, uh, new issues, new uh, things to tackle. Um, but I'm, opt I'm optimistic. I'm not, I'm not uh, worried in a sense where it's gonna just all break loose. Uh, I feel like the first line of defense is, is the individual. Um, before governments, before platforms, Before even the ISCN, it is you and I and everybody else who has to uh, just take us. There's a few steps that they need to take in order to see if the information that is presented to them is real or not, or is if, if it's truthful or if it's fact. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Harrison, uh, over the summer, he, he compared uh, uh, misinformation To, to washing your hands in a sense where there are several steps when you're washing your hands for 20 seconds to make it uh, fully clean. So uh, there are steps where you need to take when you're looking at information that's presented to you. And, and, I, and I, I totally agree with them. And his first step is to stop and breathe. Just take a deep breath. And if, 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 if what you see uh, triggers something in your head, Go with it, see where that leads you, you know, check the sources, which is the second step, you know, trust, trust your sources, Tr find trusted sources that you can say, okay, this is, this is a, a legitimate source that I could trust in. Um, beware of your emotions. Our emotions are, are our greatest failure and our greatest success at the same time. We have to, you know, hold our emotions because some of these misinformation that is presented to us can trigger anger, happiness. Well, it could, could trigger many different types of emotions. So we have to check our emotions as well. And there are many tools out there that, that, that are available to us, um, especially when it comes to verifying images and videos. And, you know, uh, always ask a person that you feel that, that knows more, more about something. Um, So I would say the first line of defense is, 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 is individuals. Yes, platforms and governments are already uh, debating how misinformation is spread within, uh, within the platforms. And the platforms are, Facebook has its third-party fact-checking program. And Twitter uh, yesterday actually uh, announced their birdwatch program where it allows the whole, it allows a collaborative effort on Twitter users to help Twitter to, to, to show what is uh, to combat the misinformation on the platform itself. So I think the first line of defense is, is us. We have to be critical in what we see and in, in what we believe. We have to stop and ask questions before moving forward. 
Yeah, and then for you, you are proponent of the uh, the big tech who do some labeling or warnings, and then the policymakers. For example, what we educate the policymakers on um, is we say, hey, if information doesn't have a real identity, sending that information, it can be it can be published. So there's always freedom of speech. But when there's no accountability for the information, there shouldn't be uh, freedom of reach. So limiting the reach of information based on the amount of accountability and the amount of transparency. For example, do you show revisions or not? Uh, so the reach is connected to the amount of accountability and transparency that has been shown. Is that a direction? Uh, what do you think of a direction like that for policymakers? That's absolutely one option. I mean, uh, curving the spread of, of, of misinformation on social media is, is, is going to be effective in the long run, but it's also going to be angering a lot of people. Um, I would say at the moment, uh, that would be the best way to, to, to combat misinformation on these, on these platforms. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still a more of an individual uh, an individual way of looking at things. I mean, it, we are the ones who are clicking retweet. We are the ones who are liking. We are the ones who are reposting stuff. And it, in some instance, it is not the government. It is not. It is not uh, platforms. But it is the individual who is who is accountable to to share this misinformation that is pushed out, possibly by governments, political leaders. I mean, it is us who would be judging what the information is presented to us. I mean, um, it's it, it could get dangerous with some of the things that are reposted and reshared um, and retweeted. Uh, it's uh, misinformation is, 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 is deadly in a sense. And we see this with this global pandemic. I mean, uh, we have leaders saying certain things i don't want to repeat things right now <laughs> and and we have uh leaders saying other things where they could cure themselves and at home by using certain things certain toxins to 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 er eradicate code within yourself i mean these are all misinformation and people are buying into it because they're not going deeper into uh, what uh they're not going into they're not they're not researching it deeper and they should be everybody should be taking a step and breathing before they move forward i mean that's the current state <laughs> i feel like i'm i'm posing a grim future but really i'm not i i i feel like um as a community as as this community gets stronger as we push out these tools and know-hows on, on how to combat misinformation, I think it, there will be a better future a better future in terms of how we we approach misinformation and it will get easier to detect it as as time moves forward because it's still relatively it's not new but it's new within our context of where we are in history currently. Um, it's not easy to 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 stop it at its tracks at the very beginning. Uh, it takes some time to identify where it is coming from, how, how has it been used, how has it spread all over. So it's going to take some time. And as we're recording by the end of January, there's urgency. People understand better than ever that misinformation is a problem, right? 
Mm-hmm. To close it, to close things up, to wrap it up, um, what's your expectation for the coming years? How will misinformation evolve over the years? You said, you already said you're uh, optimistic. Um, how will it change over the coming years? And is there a difference in the US and uh, Europe, for example? Before I say that, I just want to add something in here. I just want people to realize that that misinformation is is it has caused a lot on society. I mean, when we look at history, it's caused, uh, you know, labeling others as the other, it's caused genocide. And now with the global pandemic, it's costing lives. So we need to be aware of what we're sharing and how we are uh, disseminating this information. When it comes to, when it comes to how uh, we're going to solve it in a sense, um, I think uh, as technology evolves, there's always going to be more misinformation, but also there's going to be more tools to combat the misinformation that's coming through. So uh, there are four things that I propose uh, uh, as we have con- con- constantly said during this talk, um, the individual needs to be aware, media literacy programs at a young age needs to be instilled in, in school curriculum. Um, this is not only for uh, combating misinformation, but uh, an individual should have some media literacy uh, uh, programs in order to to understand the world around them in in some instances at the same time. Um, The growth of the fact-checking community, um, uh, you know, we're always stronger in numbers. Um, As the community grows, uh, the, the fight against misinformation will get stronger. And of course, support organizations that are nonpartisan uh, who are working tirelessly to 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 put out the facts out there these these organizations do need help and um, they are going to be the backbone in fighting against misinformation what do you expect to uh, will it be better will it be worse before uh... How, the coming five years, for example, uh, and is there a difference in the EU and the US? Oh, um, right. The difference between the EU, EU and the US. I mean, in the recent years, I would say there is similarities in, in types of misinformation. Um, before COVID, I would say um, misinformation was more localized um, to, to, uh, to a country or to a region. Uh, because the missing the information uh, the events and issues that each country is going through were not the same as in country x or y or z so now with the global pandemic we all have one common problem and and that is covid 19 so uh, fact checkers in the us and in europe everybody's basically at the moment uh, going through the same things, but in slight variation of things. Um, political leaders are are uh, not the same in every country, but they do resemble, the rhetoric resembles differently from every country, but there are some similarities. Um, misinformation, like the use of garlic and vinegar, um, you'll be surprised. Garlic and vinegar is uh, is 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 a world phenomenon, you know. <laughs> this this that it cures COVID nineteen. It's it's spread all over in every country around the world. So there are co- there are when when there's a common 
threat, what the threat at the moment is COVID-19. The misinformation is the same misinformation that's disseminated around the world. What you're saying, or let, let me fact check this with you, um, because, <laughs> of the, because of the global pandemic, that there's a global enemy or a gr- global problem, it helped the fact check community to get together and become stronger. Is, it, is that true? I would say that is absolutely true. I mean, uh, not, not that we weren't uh, a tighter community before, but it, uh, the, the, the pandemic has allowed us to develop certain projects uh, that allowed major collaborations like the, uh, the Corona uh, Facts Alliance that I was talking about before. I mean, uh, over 100 organizations, fact-checking 10,300 claims, that's a lot of work. And publishing it on a, on a central database, it's... it's it shows how how strong this community is. It shows how resilient this community is, um, and 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 we're kind of. I, I'm not. I don't want to uh, say. I don't want to compare what we do to to health workers in this uh, 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 where they're where they're fighting each and day to save lives. But I, in some instances, we are essential workers trying to get the facts out there because at this moment. Uh, we all need to do our part in order to combat and slow down uh, the pandemic. That's super insightful. What a, a wonderful insight and great to see how it strengthens that community. So yeah, l- let's wrap it up there. Ferdi, where can people find your important work? Go to our social media handles, uh, which are easily found on the Pointer website, right on top of uh, www.pointer.org. Uh, there is a section for the IFCN and all the other great work that is done at the Pointer Institute. Uh, make sure you definitely uh, look at those. Um, and when you go into the IFCN page, you will be able to see various different types of collaboration efforts that we have. You'll be able to see uh, the code of principles I was uh, discussing before and, and look at the organizations we work with closely and uh, and make sure, you know, uh, uh, that you uh, take a look at our social media platforms because we do share constant um, new research, new uh, issues uh, surrounding misinformation on our platforms to to help uh, fight against misinformation around the world. Let's build a trusted web together. Thank you, Ferdi. Thank you, Sebastian, for having me. It was great. That was Ferdi Osoy. Super interesting to see how the global pandemic or infodemic led to a stronger, thriving uh, international fact-checking community. And I'd love to invite you to go to the website, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast, where you find this episode's show notes. Check them out. It's super interesting, all the lists and uh, initiatives that they do at Pointer. And what you will also find at the website is our report on the state of misinformation on the internet. What we did is we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view that problem. They are, there are really incredible findings that surprised all of us over here. Uh, so I'd love you uh, to check out 
that, that report. And furthermore, on that website, you'll find the other episodes, other guests, there's education, there's uh, use cases for building a trusted web. And of course, everything is there available for free. The trustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey. And let's build the trusted web together.